Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. When we were in Israel three years ago, and Adam and Tiffany were with us, they can attest to this, the tour group took us to a place called Nazareth. Now, in your mind, you're going, Nazareth? Seriously, is this the same? This is the same. Yeah, this is the place where Jesus actually grew up, in Nazareth. And it was so amazing that we came to the place. Now, when you went to Nazareth, they actually had some people reenacting how it was in a simpler time back when Jesus was there. And so they, you had these people, and, uh, and, and for example, we walked in, and we would see how a carpenter would actually cut wood. And that was really neat, because you remember, um, Joseph was a carpenter. That was his occupation. So you were like, wow. And, and it's so much different than, than, I mean, we have all these tools, and we have all these like, you know, hey, uh, we got these saws and electric stuff. But it was so much different back then. And then they took the tour and said, okay, follow us here. And we moved uh, to see a woman spinning yarn out of lamb's wool. And she was literally, and they actually asked, hey, would you like to try this? And there was Nathalie trying it, and I have a picture, and, and, and we did that. And you go, cool. But they took us to the place next that I would really like to take some time to explain. You go, what's that? This was known as an olive press. So we're making our way, we see this, and we're making, and then we come into a place, and, and to us, it's just an olive press. You're like, okay, that doesn't move me at all. But labor with me for just a moment, because it was the olive press that spoke volumes of Jesus going to the cross. The olive press. How so? Well, again, labor with me for just a moment. The olive press was, the uh, olive oil actually in Israel was a staple of the ancient Mediterranean world. And it's still very important today. During the time of Jesus, if you will, and for hundreds of years after that, people in the ancient world used olive oil more than just for cooking. Is olive oil. You go, well, like what, men? Well, they used olive oil for the menorah in the temple. It was lit with wicks dipped in olive oil. And even today, many Jews use pure olive oil to light their Chanukah the menorah. The people of Judah ate olives, of course, used the oil as a preservative, and, check this out, actually a lubricant for skin care. Makes sense, doesn't it? It was also used for anointing, just as Jesus has described the anointed one, olive oil. The story of the Good Samaritan is told by Jesus, and it refers to olive oil being used for healing. So this is, this is olive oil. Now, in Israel, it's amazing. You go, Why? It's amazing because olive trees will grow where other plants won't. Olive trees will. They thrive in rocky and unproductive soil. And the Garden of Gethsemane was such a place. If you go there today, you'll see that olive oil, olive trees were abundant all in the Mount of Olives, which is a ridge that ran north and south in Jerusalem. 
Some sources state that the ridge is about 200 feet higher than the Temple Mount. Now catch this. If you're taking notes, and I highly encourage you, Gethsemane means oil press. Oil press. So you can write Gethsemane, and you can put oil press next to it. Well, Pastor, how do you spell Gethsemane? G-E-T-H-S-E-M-A-N-E. Gethsemane. Okay, got it. Therefore, when Jesus set out for the garden, he went to the very spot where he could overlook Jerusalem and where he would begin the process of his agony. You go, what do you mean? Where he would be pressed upon. So, they take us back in time, if you will. They go into this room, and it's an oil press. But how do they get oil from an olive? First and foremost, jot this down. In the ancient world, they would beat the trees, which cause the ripe olives to fall to the ground. Nothing, nothing new on that. As a matter of fact, now they have machines that will shake trees, and different fruit falls to the ground, and they pick them up and take them. That's not a big deal, but I want you to write this down, okay? They would beat the trees. You go, why is that important? Because I want, to, I want to, you to think about what they're going to do to our Jesus as he journeys to the cross. You see, they weren't going, shame, shame on you. You're just me. We're going to hang you on the cross. No, they beat my Savior. You know, the Bible says that when it came to Jesus on the cross, that he was unrecognizable. Like he was beaten so bad and swollen and bloody that you looked up and you go, I don't know who that is. Keep that in mind. I'm getting way ahead of myself because that's in the weeks to come. Once the olives were gathered, they placed them in a circular stone basin which in which a millstone sat. Perhaps you've seen animals walking, you're right? You, you have that donkey that walks around and it's got a millstone and it just goes around and around and around. That was a millstone pushing the stone around, grinding whatever was in there, okay? So pretend this was the millstone. You had the donkey that went around and around and whatever was in here, you had this giant millstone that would just crush everything. And now this is how the olives were crushed And as you went over and over, what would happen, church? Eventually, a paste was formed in there, which included, think about this, leaves and twigs, and actually pieces of the millstone would be all in there. Now, here's where it gets good. Through the crushing process, here's what I want you to see, pay attention. Once the the millstone would go around, a liquid would begin to emerge from the olives. You're like, okay. Interesting enough, the very first crushing of the olives in the oil, it was actually a reddish in hue. So when they crushed the olives and it came out there, you're thinking an olive oil that you buy at the store and it's just clear and you drop it in your frying pan or whatever you do. No, no, no. This was actually red. Red? Yeah, it had a a tint of red in it. 
You're like, no way. But then the second stage, guys, is once the olives were crushed, what was on the base of the bottom there was a paste. Okay? And so they'd scoop that up and they'd smear it into mats or burlap type of fabric. And interesting enough, the word, um, the Hebrew word for Messiah, Meshach, actually means to smear. So they take all of this and they smear it. They put all this paste on there, right? And then they take these baskets and they label them on top. They put them one on top of another. All of these shoes things. And then, okay, so we've got, we've got first the crushing around. Now we've got, uh-oh, what's happening? They were put under a huge stone column, which is called a oil press or a Gethsemane. You're like, what? Yeah, we've crushed them. What comes out? This little red hueish oil. But now we got this paste, so we take it, we smear it onto these baskets and these, and these mats, and now we're going to, oh, there's more. You go, well, like what? Placed under pressure, guess what? More liquid is pressed out of the olive paste. So they take it and they begin to press and press, and what would happen is they begin to separate even more of the pure olive, or the pure oil, if you will. Now, the remainder of the paste, whatever is left after that crushing, you guys with me? Okay, they would pick it up and guess what they would make out of it? Soap. They would make soap. You could, you go, what is soap used for? Well, to be clean. Okay, I hope some of you used soap this morning when you were in the shower. Please don't just run in and run out and run in and run out. Okay, I'm being silly, but you guys understand what soap is for. This is what they would make that for. Now, I want you to file that in the back of your mind for just a second. Okay? Now, the weight of the press was done three different times. And three different weights were used causing the crushing of the olives. How many times, church? How many times? Okay, so three different times they're going to press these olives. It's not surprising to us that God, through the writers of the Gospels, would use the place of olives in the olives tree in the text to be used as a metaphor to explain Jesus' suffering and the ultimate redemption of mankind. Well, that is where we pick up our story. How so? If you're taking note, Jesus is being crushed right now by the weight of our sin even before his final hours on earth. Why do you say this to me, Ben? Why are you teaching this to me? Here's why. Because a lot of people will try to confuse you or create doubt. God, oh, man wrote the Bible. No, 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 no. God wrote the Bible and he ties it in so beautifully that you can't help but over, be overwhelmed and say, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. This is exactly what he's saying. And so with that as our intro, let's look at the journey to the cross, Gethsemane. We pick it up from last week in verse 30, and it says, and when, he had, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, I want to remind you, the Garden of Gethsemane and the oil press. So, guess what? They've had the, they've had the Last Supper. We know Judas is gone, right? 
And, and you guys remember the story. You guys remember when he said, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And the disciples said they were sorrowful and kept saying, Lord, is it I? And Judas goes, Rabbi, is it I? Is it I? He doesn't call him Lord. He's not sorrowful. And then the Lord's like, yeah, go ahead. So Judas is entered by Satan, goes out. He's about to betray his best friend, if you will. And so Judas isn't there. They finish the supper. Can you imagine? They're still wondering, is it I? Because the disciples go, we're not sure who it is. We thought Judas was just going to go get some more supplies. So you're still wondering, is it I? Is it I? And so what happens is they go, okay, well, let's sing. And so they sung a hymn, and they walked over to the Mount of Olives. Now, notice verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, quote, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flock and be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said, now, you got to love Peter. Okay, you got to love Peter. Why? Because I think out of all the disciples, we identify with Peter most of all. The Lord says, hey, Y'all are going to stumble. And Pete goes, not me. Not me. And that's the same thing for us. Sometimes we're like, hey, you're going to have a tough week. And you go, I'm not. But, but what does he say? Peter said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Can you imagine the company? He's looking at the disciples. Even if all y'all deny him, I won't. I'm Peter. Pete, Pete, you've been walking in, Pete, a disciple is a, is, is a man who walks in humility. Pete, a disciple is a man who puts a, oh no, and Pete's like, oh, listen, and, and that's the Texas way. Even if y'all, y'all, you know, mess up, I won't. Now, I wish the chapter ended right there because verse 34 says, Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, Pete, that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And notice, and so said all the disciples. Okay, so Pete's, Pete's like, hey, all y'all are going to stumble, not me. And the Lord's like, Pete, seriously, dude? Even tonight, before the rooster crows, three times. And Pete should have just went, Lord, I, oh, oh, I humbly come, Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I don't want to deny you. What do I need? No, you know what Pete says? Pete says, even if I have to die, even I, and, and, and here's the thing that jumps out the text. Church, be careful with your words. I don't know if Pete's really thinking. I don't know if Pete's really thinking. You know what I mean? And you have to be careful with your words because there are some things you just can't take back. You understand that? There are some things that's already out there and you're like, rewind, rewind, rewind. You know, we can't do that. We can't do that. Heard a story yesterday at the conference that I thought would be appropriate right here. One of the pastors said that he wasn't feeling good and his wife went out to the Walmart to buy him some medicine and a few minutes later, 
he gets a text on his phone that says, please come and get me. Please come and get me. So he looks at it and goes, I don't know who this is. And he's a number he doesn't recognize. So he just, you know what I mean? Five minutes later, he gets a phone call. And the person on the other line, from this same number, would you please come and get me? Would you please get over here right away? I need you right now. And he goes, I don't know who this is. Quit calling me. And he hangs up. That's weird. About 10 minutes later, his son calls and says, Dad, Mom's purse got stolen, and she needs you to go to the Walmart. And she's using somebody else's phone. And so he goes, I just told, hung up on my wife. I just told her, quit calling me. I don't know who you are. <laughs> I didn't recognize your voice, and I didn't recognize the number. And he goes, you know what he said? He goes, boy, is there ever a time that I wanted to reel that back in? That would have been right now. And that's Pete. There are times we say something, we're not thinking, we're sick, I can't get there, I'm sick, please leave me alone, I don't know who you are that's calling me. You must have a wrong number. And then you go, hey, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And I'm, here, here's the exhortation to us, guys. Please be careful with our words. You know, think before we speak. I am notorious for not doing that. And I have to learn. Oh, Lord, let me be patient. Let me, let me think this through. How important it is for us, church. Ready? Jot this down. It's important to listen, to understand, not to reply. It's important to listen, to understand. Okay, what's being said? Not to just simply bring back an answer. How good are we at that? Somebody's saying something, and right away, I, oh, I've got this figured out. Mm, mm, mm. But you know what I find interesting? He's got such a great influence on the disciples. Why? Because they're like, yeah, us too. That's my version. Yeah, us too. We, if, we're with you, Pete. And so guess what happens? Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane. Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus just told his disciples, he just told Pete, Pete, listen, you're going to deny me. This, is, this night's going to be crazy. It's going to go down like I don't ever want it to go down. Pete stands up in pride and says, not me, Lord. I got your back, Holmes. I got you. Not me, Lord. And the disciples are going, no, not us. What would be a natural response for the Lord to rebuke them and say, are you kidding me? Let me go through the last three years of your resume and show you where you, if that's not our God, is he? So receive that today, that the things that you've done in the past, you're forgiven of and don't bring them up again. Because the Lord's not going, hey, look, uh, you remember back in 1987, you said this, you're going to do it again. You see, back in 1996, you told me that you were going to serve me, and you really didn't. Can I even trust you? Oh, back in 2000, you see, the Lord doesn't do that, does he? He says, listen, here it is. I'm praying for you. And so he says, guys, come on, fellas. Come on, fellas. And they came with him to Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, 
and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, two quick points. Understand, he tells the disciples here, and he, sent, and he takes Peter, James, and John, and he pulls them up a little bit, right? And here's what I find that breaks my heart. He says that the Lord, our God, is sorrowful and distressed. Why? Why is he sorrowful? Why is he distressed? Well, here's what I want you to grasp. Jesus is disturbed from knowing the physical horror waiting for him at the cross. You see, although he was fully God, he still was fully man. And in order to understand us so well, he had to feel those things that we feel. And there are times in our life when we're sorrowful and we're distressed and we're just worried about the next week and we don't have any clue how we're going to make ends meet and things are just out of control and disarrayed. Can I tell you that Jesus knows that? He's felt that. And so when he brings his arms of loving comfort, you go, oh. You see, the greatest comfort to me and courage is knowing that somebody's already gone through what I'm going through and they came out okay. Oh, oh, you've gone through that? Yes, yeah, I've gone through that. You'll be all right. Here's what you need. Just pray and hang on to the Lord. Okay. You mean I can make it through? Our biggest fear is seeing somebody who didn't make it through. And, 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 and that's the biggest thing. And so, and so here it is. He's, he's knowing, oh my goodness. And he came to Gethsemane from central Jerusalem. He crossed, now here's what you've got to see. He crossed over the brook Kidron. Guess what he sees? Now, let me see if I can paint this picture. If you've never been to Israel, you don't, have a, you don't really get a good grasp. If you've been to Israel, you'll know exactly, and that's why you should go to Israel. If we get a tour going, we should go. Shameless plug. But no, seriously, because the Bible comes alive. And so if you go across, there would be a bridge over this valley. This is the Kidron Valley. Now, today it's a road. I understand that. But there would be this bridge to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, right over there. So Jesus and the gang would go, and there would be... So he would look up, and he would see a full moon. Why? Because it's Passover. There's always a full moon on Passover. You're like, oh. But guess what else he would see? In Passover, they're sacrificing the lambs. We talked about that last week. And the blood would be running through the Kidron Valley. So it wouldn't be a river of, oh, isn't that a beautiful river? Oh, wow, I'd like to go fishing there. That's amazing. You know, look, it would be a river of blood. So not only Jesus is going across, knowing in a few moments that he's going to be hanging on a cross, he would see the full moon of the Passover. I'm the Passover lamb. And then he'd see the blood that was about to be sacrificed. Not, that was, those are the blood of lamb, but him being the what? The lamb of God. Could you imagine? Can you feel the weight of that? Can you feel the weight of seeing that? And so he'd go across. But he was sorrowful. He was sorrowful. And the Greek word for sorrowful means distress. To be sad, to grieve, and to be in heaviness. So as he goes across, he's like... (sighs) You know what your normal, natural reaction is when you're heavy? Is to pull yourself up. We've been taught, okay, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Let's go. Get up. Why are you so down? And Jesus was just like... (sighs) 
Thinking of that church makes it hard to sin, don't you think? Because I'm thinking of my Jesus with this heaviness, this sadness, this sorrowful. And he's going, I'm doing this for Ben. And here's Ben in 2022. Oh, I'm just going to go sin. I'm going to do what I want. And No, I think, wow, Lord. Wow, because, because that's, that's the word. But it also means to be distressed. And this means to be very, very heavy, stressed, or anxiety. And you wouldn't think the Son of God had anxiety, but here he is. Here he is. He comes sorrowful and distressed. Guys, 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 guys go watch over there and pray. I'm, I'm going to pray over here, okay? And then he looks at him. Look at verse 38, guys. He says, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Let me give it to you in the New Living. The New Living just really says this. Here's what he says. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Now, everything in your mind is coming through because now you see the crushing of the Savior. So he says, hey guys, guys, listen, I'm, I'm really, my soul is crushed with grief. Would you, would you guys stay here, watch, keep watch with me? Now, Hold your place here because I want to show you something in Luke 22. Luke 22. So hold your finger here and go over to Luke 22. And Luke 22 gives us the same account, but I want to show you a little bit different. Picking it up in verse 39 of Luke 22. And if you can't find it, it'll be on the screen. That's okay. It says, Coming out, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So here's the instruction. You ready? Pray and watch. Watch and pray. Pray and watch. You go, okay. That's what he told the guys. Okay? Pray and watch. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. What did Jesus do? He knelt down and prayed saying... Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I love the humanity of my Jesus. He looks to the Father and says, Lord, if there's any other way, Joe can be saved. Larry can be saved. Adam, if there's any other way, I'm up for it. And then he goes, but Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And it says here back in Luke, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, there it is again, guys. He prayed more earnestly. Now, here's what I want you to see. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Okay? All of a sudden, your brain is going ding, 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 ding. Why? Because you remember when they put the olives into the press and they start to roll it around in the millstone, guess what was coming out first? Olive oil that looked like blood. 
right here, Jesus is being crushed by the weight of our sin. Church, it's not okay for me or you to flirt with sin. It's not okay. Right here, think about it. His journey to the cross because he loves us and it starts with prayer. And he was praying and he was being crushed. You could feel that, the weight of the world's sin, my sin, your sin, all of that, everyone. And, and the Bible says this. It says that his sweat, his sweat now here's what I'm going to see, became like great drops of blood. Doesn't say his sweat was blood. It was it sort of looked like sweat with a reddish hue. And if you looked at it, you go, oh man, he's sweating blood. He's sweating blood. One commentator writes on this and he says, There have been cases in which persons have debilitated state of body or through horror of soul have had their sweat tinged with blood. Cases sometimes happen which through mental pressure the pores may be so dilated that the blood may issue from them so that they may be or have a bloody sweat, end quote. The Greek wording here in Luke chapter 22, verse 44 is clear. Luke is not saying that Jesus' sweat was blood, but that it was like blood. But either way, it was poured off his brow and it was tinged with blood. Luke wrote this. Matthew saw it. The disciples saw it. And in their mind, they would remember the crushing of the olives. How beautiful is that for us to go, oh, wow. But imagine yourself as a disciple there. Would you have that same reaction? Or would you not put two and two together? Why? Because as the disciples, they're still waiting for him to take over Rome. Passover's coming. He's just stressed. I mean, maybe he's really stressed out because now he's going to take and, and beat up Rome and, and Israel's going to reign once again. I'm with you, Lord, and, and this is tough, so we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And I think they have that mentality, don't you? And you go, why? Because they're going to fall asleep. They're going to fall asleep. Let's go back to Matthew, picking it up in verse 39. It says, And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed. And he said, O my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you. Now, here's what I want you to write down here. Right here in verse 39, if you don't mind writing your Bible, this is a prayer. Jesus is praying. This is a prayer. To his father. You're like, okay, calm down. Why are you, too much coffee? Yeah, too much coffee. But that's, no, here's what I want you to say. God the Father would never deny the Son any request. Because Jesus always prayed according to the heart of the will of the Father. But since Jesus drank the cup of judgment at the cross, we know that it's not possible for salvation to come any other way. Salvation by the work of Jesus at the cross is only possible way. 
if there is any other way to be made right before God, then Jesus died an unnecessarily unnecessary death. Some of us in this room, some of us watching online, maybe you're listening by radio, struggle with the fact that salvation seems so easy. That I, that I just believe and I can be saved. And I don't have peace because I feel like I need to do something. I feel like I need to work for God. I feel like I got to contribute to my salvation. Well, here you can take rest. If you're born again, if you put your faith and trust in God, when you take your final breath here on earth, you're saved because of Jesus and nothing else. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's how we need to rest. You go, well, Ben, um, my past is yucky. I've made some bad choices. I don't even want to talk about some of the stuff. The blood of Jesus covers that. Our problem is that we tend to remember that. And we tend to keep, and it's like, no, 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 no. Today is the day when we start and say, okay, that stuff's forgotten. I'm saved by grace and grace alone, through faith. And I'm going to rest in that. I'm going to rest in that. Now, catch this. It was the Garden of Gethsemane that the coming events suddenly overtook Jesus. You go, how so? Part of the agony of Jesus was due to the knowledge he was facing, this unimaginable experience on the cross that involved an extremely painful and humiliating form of death. I mean, he's, this is where it starts. The most horrible pressing upon that Jesus experienced, of course, was the oppressive feeling of bearing the weight of all human sin and being separated from the Father. Wow. Can I tell you, and you can jot this down, sin separates us from God. Sin separates us of God. When we flirt with, dance with, enjoy sin, Ultimately, it's separating us from God. Yeah, Ben, but you know what? Chill, bro, because I'm a sinner, and I know I sin, and sometimes I sin. But when we push that to the boundaries of iniquity, where we know the line, and we know here's what God says not to do, and we cross over, guys, I want you to think of this teaching, the crushing of the Lord. You see, there are times when we're going to have a bad attitude. Can I get an amen? amen? There are times when we're going to have PMS and UMS and all these other stuff. <laughs> you go, what's UMS? That's for men. It's ugly mood syndrome. <laughs> and there's times we're going to be ugly and awful to our wives and we're going to say things we really don't mean and there, there's going to be fights and there's going to be all this stuff and at your workplace you're not going to do a very good job although you should do a good job. You're actually slacking and you're lazy and those are sin. And we ask God to forgive us for those sins. That's who we are. That's our human nature. That's our fallen nature. But when we deliberately, here's the line. That's sin. That's iniquity. But I thank God that he was wounded for our transgressions and he was, help me church, bruised 
for our iniquities, right? Where does a bruise come from? What is a bruise? A bruise is something that happens inside. It's when you get hit and all the blood happens on the inside. He knows my heart that it's always something that's happening on the inside. Yeah. You see, because the transgression is where it says, don't step on, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't know this was wrong. Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord, please. That's a transgression. It's, it's a trespass. I didn't mean to. But iniquity always happens. You can't make this stuff up. This is the word of God. You can't make this stuff up. Verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Now, every time I read that, I just picture Jesus just being like, seriously? But I wonder if he was just like, hey, you can pray. Well, Lord, you're about to take over the world. You got this. I'm tired, <laughs> right? I mean, but, uh, but he says, what, could, could, you, could you pray for one hour? Could you, could you watch? And then in verse 41, he says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And I think let's stop right there. Let's pull this verse. I'm going to pull it out of context. Do you understand what that means? Contextually, I'm going to stand right here. Why? Because I think it's a word for us today. It's not in context, but I want to show some application. You go, what's that? In the day we're living in, I think it's an exhortation for all of us to watch and pray. The Lord is coming back and we need to watch and pray. We can't get lazy. We can't be asleep when it comes to our walks. We can't be thinking, oh, I got, it's all good. He says for us to watch. Lord Jesus, please. Please. Watch. What does that mean to watch? Well, church, it means to know what's going on in the world. World news biblically. What's happening with Russia? How is they're holding hands with Turkey and Iran? What's happening there? It's okay, don't get caught up in all the news of the day so where you're so depressed, but it's okay to watch the news and see where we are biblically. I'm watching. Lord, this is good. This is good. This, but I'm going to show you something else. I'm going to show you something else. So the Lord says, watch. So I don't want to enter into temptation. But like all of us, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now that should be a good place for an amen. amen. We can all attest. Man, my spirit is wants to, woo, this is good. I'm, I'm tired though. Ah, my flesh is weak. So what does Jesus do? A second time, he went and waited and prayed, Oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Is there any other way? Is there any other way, Lord? I mean... Anthony's a good guy. He's a good... Lord, is there any way he could just be saved? Lord, do good looks count? No. No. You see, that's the point. The point is he's saying, listen, there's not any other way. Your will be done. And so what? Look at verse 43. And he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them. He went away again and prayed a third time. Can you imagine? Here's my guys. Here's the inner circle. You come up and they're... <laughs> move away, John. You're not breathing on my face. <laughs> and he's like... I'm about to die. He's thinking, I'm about to die. 
Let them sleep. Let them sleep. After he prayed a little bit more, he came to his disciples and he says, are you guys still sleeping and resting? What would you say? No? I was just, I was just inspecting my eyelids inside. I was just saying, no. He says, guys, listen. Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of sick. Guys, it's time. It's time for what? We're going to take... We're gonna Don't you love the word of God? Because I feel when, they, when the disciples walked with Jesus, they walked confused a lot of the time. You know, they're like, is it time for you to take over Rome or is it... I don't know, just follow him. Okay. Okay. Now... Remember that the baskets and the mats that were stuck, that were stacked under the huge stone column, okay? It was called a Gethsemane, an oil press. You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. This explains why Jesus knelt and prayed several times. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He could feel the pressure. He's being crushed. He's being crushed. In the meantime, part of the journey to the cross is Judas. Check it out. Verse 46. He says, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So I don't know if, if you were if you're there, would you be counting? See, Mark, Luke, John, who's there? Yeah, Bartholomew, Matthew, everybody. Judas isn't is he talking about Judas? Well, Judas went to buy. And so he's wondering who's who's betraying him. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude of swords and clubs came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, the other gospel says he brought a Roman legion with him. You know how much a Roman legion? Six, 600 to a thousand for, for Jesus. Now, let me just say this to you. You need to understand it wasn't just for one person. He brought the whole Roman army because if you were going to take down what you thought was an insurrection or, or a leader, you didn't just take the leader. You took everyone that was following him. So that meant all y'all. Everybody who's following Jesus. So he's like, that's why the Lord said, who are you looking for? Leave them alone. He was protecting them because he knew they could die too. They could die too. And so here comes all this one. And, and now his betrayer had given him a sign. Notice this. Whomever I kiss, he's the one sees him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, now here's what I want you to underline, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. There's two things I want you to see here. If you're not afraid to underline this or highlight it, it's very, very important. And you go, what's the first thing? Okay? The first thing is Jesus calls Judas friend. You go, what, what's the point? I mean, I don't understand. Okay. Although Jesus knew and scripture had to be fulfilled that Judas would betray him. The fact that he calls him friend is saying, please don't do this. 
I'm still going to go to the cross. It's all going down, but you can be saved. That's what he's saying. Please, Judas. Judas, please. Yeah, but, but we know the story of Judas. Judas is going to go out and he's going to hang himself. But right here, I want you to see something so important. So, so important. You go, what's that? Here's what I want you to see. There's something called fatalistic theology. And fatalistic theology is sin where you and I go, well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do, so I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm not going to pray about it. That's fatalistic theology. And so we go, well, you know, Judas was Judas. That's what he was born for. Serves him right to be thrown in a field after he was dead. Serves him right. That's, that was God's will. No, 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 no. Here's what I want you to see. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I'll tell you why. I feel like God is always at times, if we're listening, speaking to me. And Norma prayed on Thursday. She doesn't know this, but Norma prayed. And here's what she prayed. She said, I pray that we would get out and vote and, and overwhelm them and, and bring America. And she was praying that Christians would vote, the bib, vote biblically, vote their conscience. And I heard her pray that. You know what, you know what fatalist, fatalistic theology would do? They would go, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because they're going to steal the election. Why even bother? We know they're cheaters. We know this. We know that. We know that. But then the Lord spoke to me. He said, listen, Judas could have repented. Judah, he goes, friend, buddy, it's okay. I, I still love you. It's okay. You don't have to do this. It's the same thing for us, guys. We can't have fatalistic theology. We have to go, listen, we need to go out and we need to vote until God takes us home. We need to do our part in our country and in our city and in, in our jobs. We need to do our part as believers because we're not sure where God is. You go, well, Ben, the timeline's pretty quick. Maybe. But I know that I want to stand before God and say, I did my part. Well, yeah, if they cheat, they cheat, but I did my part. And we overwhelmed them and we did what we were supposed to do because Christians stood up and voted their conscience. And Christians voted and we didn't get that. Because, I mean, I have that at times. I'm like, what for? Why even bother? Well, we did it back and so And look and look what's... doesn't matter because Jesus said, friend, it's okay. It's okay. The second thing I want you to see is the contrast. Judas warmly greets Jesus, even giving him a customarily twist. Kiss, that's what they would do. He would come and kiss him. But the text indicates that he kept kissing him. Like this. It identified Jesus to the authorities. But I don't think there's any more, I guess, a hollow hypocritical words. He says, greetings, Rabbi. And Jesus' heartfelt words back to him. Friend, friend, why have you come? Wow, that's so deep because you're just like, wow. Well, check this out. And suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, here's what I want you to do. You know, well, you kind of you respect Matthew. Matthew's like, yeah, somebody took a sword out and 
you know, and Luke says, yeah, somebody. Mark says, yeah, somebody cut off. You know what John does? It's Peter. <laughs> Peter did it. <laughs> That's what John does. John names names. Peter's crazy. Now, here's what the text indicates. Peter was a fisherman. He, he was not a swordsman. He wasn't. And what happened is, it, look, and most scholars indicate that he took out the sword and he was trying to cut off his head. He's like, ah, and he got the ear. <laughs> Listen, here's some great application for us. You ready? If you're going to use a sword, make sure you learn how to use a sword. Okay? I sit with our head of security. He's not here. Hopefully he's watching online. But if he's not here, he always says, it scares me when people go out and buy firearms that don't know how to use them. He says, I want people to learn how to use them and go through the training and go through the classes. And I thought, what a great application. Pete, you're a fisherman, but if you're going to use your sword, but not that we wanted Malchus's head to be cut off, okay? Let's make that clear. I didn't, but, but we have to learn. And I think moving forward, Christians, we're going to have to learn to defend ourselves. I think like Nehemiah, we're going to have to have the Bible in one hand and a trowel in the other, whatever that may be. And we have to learn. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in the place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He says, Pete, do you not think that I can now pray to my father and he will provide with me more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, guys, you've come out against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you didn't seize me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Okay, two parts to this. Number one, they all sat there and said, Lord, if you die, we're going to die with you. We'll die with you. They see the, Rome, they see the popo coming, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> They're gone. Jesus, I love you. I'll text you later. Seriously, dudes? But that would be us, would it not? Be careful with your words. And I always say, Lord, give me the strength that I would, that I'd be able to stand for you in this world. And people are coming. You know, listen, it's easy to stand behind a pulpit and say, Church, your pastor, if he goes to jail, he'll go to jail for the Lord. Until I'm in jail. Come on, somebody, right? It's easy to say it now when we're free. I want the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's the course that God has for us, that we're able to say, okay, Lord, this is what I want to do. If I'm willing to die for you, then I'm going to die for you. I want to do that. But Lord, don't, don't let me speak just prideful. We're one step closer to the cross. We're one step closer. And as we close, here's what I want you to see. The first crushing has taken place. But in order to get the greatest use out of the olives, guess what has to happen? Good, Joe. They must be crushed even more. 
Jesus, guys, will endure more for our sake. Jesus needs to go through the crushing to make us clean. To make us clean. You go, wait a minute. You see, after it was all said and done, the olive paste was used for soap. And what does soap do? It washes away dirt and filth. And so does the blood of Jesus. It washes our sins and makes us clean. And makes us clean. But maybe you're here today and you go, you know what? I don't know if I am clean, Pastor. I don't know if I am really saved. And you were saying some things in Scripture and, and I started to think, I, I'm not sure if I have a real relationship with God. I know I believe in him, Pastor, but I don't know, like you were saying, a, 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 a deep belief, a real relationship, and I don't know if I have that. Well, listen, here's the good news. If that's you today and he's been knocking on your heart, the good news is that you have an opportunity today to say yes to him. You go, really? Yeah, what do I have to do? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. The worship team can go ahead and come on back. I'm going to give you an opportunity to just lift up your hand and say yes to him. You see, what happens around this time when, when the pastor gives the invitation, we start worrying about what man thinks. Well, what are people going to think? They thought I was a Christian. They thought I had done this. I, you know, and, and, and so I'm just going to sit here and I'll just do it by myself in my room, which is great. But, but to make a public declaration, you're saying, no, no, I want to be saved today. I want to be saved today. And it doesn't matter who's around me. If they ask me later on, I'll just say, you know what? This is, that was between me and God. I just need it for me. I just need it for me. So I want to give you an opportunity because I never want anyone to leave here without an opportunity saying yes to Jesus. You go, what do I have to do? In a moment, we're all going to bow our heads. People are going to be praying. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. By you lifting your hand, I'll acknowledge you. God bless you. God bless. Yes, I see you. And then I'll lead you in a prayer that goes something like this. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again on the third day but I need your help. I'm asking you to come into my heart. Be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior, be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, forever. I'm your simple prayer, but if you mean it with all of your heart, here's what the Bible says. He's going to come in. He's going to forgive you of your sins. He's going to wash your past and guilt away, and he's going to give you a new life. He's going to give you a new life. And that's what it means to be saved, to be born again. But you have to do it. He loves you so much, he'll stand with his arms open wide, but he will never force his love on you. It has to be a choice. You have to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And that's what we're going to do here in just a second. Maybe you're here and you've been walking with Jesus, but you're somewhat backslidden. You said, man, I haven't really been reading my Bible. I haven't been really praying. I've been actually been, when you were talking about that iniquity, I was so convicted because that's what I've been doing. But after what you've preached, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to make a decision to follow you. Because you said watch and pray, and I want to watch and pray. I want to be ready when Jesus comes. If that's you this morning, I want you to lift your hand as well. Because God knows anyway. So let's pray. We'll give you an opportunity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, how the olive press and Gethsemane and all of that just shows volumes of who you are for us. And I thank you for that. I thank you and I pray that it would speak to every single person. With every eye closed and every head bowed today, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor Ben, you were talking to me. Would you 
would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I'm, I'm ready to surrender completely to him. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just lift it. God bless you. Anyone else? I can see you. We're just going to pray for you. Just lift up your hand. You're going to be right with God. doesn't matter if you've been backslidden or this is your first time. Just lift, let the Lord see your hand. He can see your heart. I see you. Yes, yes. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just give you a minute. If you're watching online, you can lift up your hand. God will see you. Listen, if you're, watch, if you're listening online or, while, or hearing by radio, God will see you. Just lift up your hand. If you're driving, please keep one hand on the wheel. But God will see you. Father, I pray for these hands that are raised and even those that are, that are still struggling. I know there's a struggle. I know there's a struggle in there. And right now I pray that you would speak to them. Lord, help them to, to once and for all come have peace. Have peace with who they are in Christ. That they would confess their sin to you. Lord, forgive me. I am such a sinner. Lord, I've, I've committed iniquity. And I never once, never once thought about how it made you feel. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I believe with all of my heart, you died on the cross. I believe you died for me, you rose again, and you're coming back soon. But Lord, really, if I'm honest, in this life, I need help. I have a tendency to walk away, God. And so I need your Holy Spirit. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you come inside me? Would you be my Lord and God and Savior and friend? Would you be able, would you be there for me when I call to you and when I pray and when I cry? And would you be there? Amen. Thank you, Lord. I believe it by faith. In Jesus' name, and all who believe said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.